This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In today's episode, we discuss methane emissions from coal mines and why they're important. Methane is an odorless, colorless gas that is found almost everywhere on the planet, and there is lots of it around human settlements. It's emitted from landfills, oil and gas wells, coal mines, agricultural activities, livestock, and many other places. It is more than 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide and its global warming potential in the short term, say over a span of 20 years or so. What's interesting is that the concentration in the atmosphere was steady for hundreds of thousands of years. But to around 1750, it began increasing very rapidly with industrialization and population growth. And there's, of course, emission from natural sources. A changing climate affects these too. In the energy sector alone, recent estimates indicate that coal mines leak even more methane than do oil and gas fields. Let's find out how this happens and how to mitigate these emissions. Good morning and welcome. I am Rumin Islam, host of Tell Me How. And our guest today is Meredith Evans, senior staff scientist at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, where she's managing a program on international sustainable energy. She's worked on energy efficiency and clean energy policies and projects in numerous countries. Welcome, Meredith. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So, Meredith, you've done a lot of research on greenhouse gas emissions from coal mines, and it's widely recognized that countries around the world need to move slowly out of coal into less polluting sources of energy to limit global warming. Burning coal not only means putting more carbon dioxide into the air, but also more methane, quite a potent greenhouse gas. So could you explain why methane from coal mines is of concern? Sure. So coal mines are one of the largest sources of anthropogenic or human methane emissions. Coal production releases methane trapped um, in coal seams, but also in the surrounding rock. And the coal mining industry is estimated to account for 11% of global methane emissions from human activities. At the same time, many scholars argue that current estimates of methane emissions from fossil fuels are potentially underestimated. Thank you. So are all mines the same or do methane emissions vary depending on the mine? Yeah, that's a great question. All mines vary, um, but we do know that there are a few factors that matter a lot. So, for example, mining depth matters. Deeper mines have more tra- methane trapped in general. And, you know, if you think about where oil and gas deposits are usually located deep underground, the fossil fuel conversion happens after millennia of deep pressure. And those same forces affect methane and coal. And then, you know, keeping that same concept in mind, Underground mines tend to have more methane than surface mines. Underground mines are further divided into what's known as gassy or non-gassy mines based on you know their emissions, the explosion risk, and the lo- local geology. Okay, so there's a lot of variation. So, but do you have data over the years on on mines, like by type of mine and their geographical locations? Yeah. So. Geologists have compiled extensive data on methane contents of coal seams at different depths and for different types of coal. That data has been collected in many places around the globe, and it can shed light on the relationships between coal seam depth, 
like I mentioned before, methane content and the different types of coal. And so in other words, we have enough data to know that for different types of coal at different depths, we'll get certain methane contents. And those contents increase at known rates as you go deeper. Right. But one thing I, I did want to bring out is that it's not just methane emissions from active coal mines that concern us, right? You've also researched closed um, or abandoned coal mines and found them to be substantial sources of methane emissions. And yeah. so I wanted to ask you, why do abandoned mines produce methane? And is this important? Yeah, sure. Like you said, the core problem is from those active mines, particularly in the coming decades. But we know that there are potentially going to be significant emissions, both today and in the future, from abandoned mines. And the basic challenge is that when you close a mine, the methane continues to seep out of those disturbed seams. And it can continue to do that for as long as a century. But the majority That's a very long time. It is. It is. And so when you add up all of those closed mines over time, you can get a fairly substantial amount of cumulative methane from those mines. At the same time, the majority of the emissions do occur in the first 10 years after you close a mine. All right. But I think that at some point I had understood that, you know, flooding may reduce, like that some mines actually flood once you close them and that when they flood, they don't release methane. Is that right? Yes, that is true. So flooding is more common in very deep mines and in wetter climates. And if the mine floods, that will effectively seal off the methane from uh, continuing to come out. But can you explain why when methane is emitted, I mean, one can use the gas. So why isn't it used when, you know, initially when you open a mine and this gas leaks out, why don't people use the gas? Yeah, that's a great question. A couple of reasons. So one of the reasons is that depending on how the methane is coming out, if it's in the ventilation air, it's not highly concentrated. So it can be more challenging to use. If it is, uh, and I'm talking active mines here, if it's in a degasification system, that is more concentrated, but you still need to figure out how you may use it. You know, do you have a demand for heat or power that's right there, for example? Okay, so we're going to get to using methane later, but I wanted to also go back to, so you had mentioned that, you know, flooding can reduce the problem of methane leakage, but is it a good solution? Could we just flood mines after we close them? Flooding doesn't universally occur, and trying to flood a mine can be pretty difficult. I'd like to give the analogy of a bathtub. So if you had a crack in that bathtub and you fill it up with water, the water is still going to come out of that bathtub. So you can't really use it as a methane mitigation strategy, although certainly when uh, if, if a mine does flood, it does reduce the emissions substantially. And it usually takes, say, 8 to 20 years for a mine to flood after it's closed. It takes 8 to 20 years? That's a very yeah, long time. For the mines that do flood. We estimate that about half the mines flood. That's our best estimate. Okay, but it takes a very long time. And in, in that time, there's a lot of gas seeping out. So could you give us an idea of how much methane actually comes from abandoned mines relative to active mines? I ask because, you know, uh, abandoned mines are often just forgotten. I mean, if you've got an active mine and then you're thinking of closing it now with everyone aware 
of all the problems associated with methane leakage, you'll probably, you know, they'll be thinking of what to do about it. But abandoned mines are those that were closed years ago. So I'm just wondering how big a problem that is compared to other leakages. Yeah, so in our study where we looked at future methane emissions under different scenarios, including a policy scenario that would significantly reduce total greenhouse gas emissions, we found that by 2050, the majority of emissions would would still be from active mines, but abandoned mines were uh, catching up significantly. So specifically, 31 million tons from active mines versus 23 million tons of methane from abandoned. But that's pretty close, it seems now. Yes, of course, that's assuming that there are a lot of transitions in the energy sector away from coal. But yeah, it, it is a it's a challenge because over the course of a century, you those mines don't stop emitting. So the more mines that you close, the more abandoned mine methane you ultimately get. So Meredith, you mentioned that assuming that some mines will be closed, active coal mines will, will emit less methane. And so the proportion of methane from abandoned mines is it will probably grow. So let me let me ask you about the scenario analysis that you did, projecting methane emissions from working in abandoned coal mines. I know you, you looked at a mitigation pathway consistent with the Paris Agreement and a pathway where, where there aren't as many additional or specific mitigation measures taken. So do you want to speak a little bit about this and what you find? Sure. So future coal production is a key element of estimating future methane emissions from active and abandoned mines. We looked, as you mentioned, at several scenarios that project global coal production through 2100. And while that may seem distant, uh, as we discussed, understanding the long-term impact of the mines that might be closed requires that kind of long-term perspective. In particular, used an underlying scenario with moderate global GDP growth and low future greenhouse gas emissions. That scenario was roughly in line with two degrees of warming globally. The Paris goal, as you know, is 1.5 to two degrees of warming. And then importantly, we layered the changing methane emissions on top of those established scenarios, which effectively increased emissions. In other words, our resulting scenarios say, look, if we take this pathway for low emissions, and then we think about what increasingly deep mines and growing abandoned mines do, we actually have higher emissions than you may think. And this additional methane needs to be mitigated ultimately, or other greenhouse gas emissions will need to be further reduced if we were to limit warming to two degrees or less. So I guess this is the important point because methane is so potent in its immediate or short-term global warming effects that the additional gas would be methane and it would be potent in the in the short term. That's what you're saying. That is a, an important part of it. At the same time, it is also important to think, you know, if if we consider that the methane emissions from deeper are from deep mines may be greater than we had previously thought. Those are more emissions than we might have thought of in the past. Likewise, if we hadn't fully considered these abandoned mines, that's a lot more methane than we might have previously thought of. And that methane has to be dealt with if we want to limit global warming. And of course, if all countries don't start shutting down their coal plants, um, because you make the assumption that there will be coal plants shut down, 
then of course the problem is much higher because the problem that the, the scenario you gave us of abandoned mine methane rising relative to coal mine, uh, active coal mine methane will probably be reversed, right? If they don't shut the coal mines, then you'll just have more active mine methane. Sure. I mean, yes, we assume that there will still be active coal mines and methane from those active coal mines. But the more mines that are closed, the more of a challenge you have from abandoned mines. So why don't we think a little bit about the types of policies that might be recommended to limit methane emissions from abandoned mines? And I'm assuming that the policies that one would adopt to deal with methane from abandoned mines have a lot in common with the policies that you would think of when you're just about to close a mine. And given that this is an important policy action, this idea of closing mines progressively over the next few years to meet our climate agenda, let's think about uh, what might be some policies to deal with this methane. How would you think about them? We studied global policies to promote the capture and use of abandoned mine methane, or AMM as it's known. And we found five key actions that can really help. And there are many parallels as well uh, with policies for active mines. So the, the five areas are enacting clear procedures for obtaining AMM ownership rights. If you can't own the gas, it's very hard to mitigate it, to install equipment that would utilize that gas if you don't own it. So when someone closes a mine, who owns it? Yeah, it varies in many countries. And in some countries, it's simply not clear. And that's a problem because if it's not clear, if you can't establish clear ownership rights, it makes projects very difficult. In some countries, it's clear that all underground resources are owned by the government, but then to license that gas, the process may or may not be clear. In some places, for example, some parts of the United States, if the land is in private hands, the subsurface minerals are, would also be in private hands unless they're transferred. I see. And then after it's closed, if it's a public, a publicly owned mine, then it's up to the government to either do something because it owns it or to give the rights to a private owner, uh, to a private business. Yes. In most cases, in, in, in many countries, the while the government may own the methane or the coal, they don't typically own the mines themselves. They, they typically would license it off. All right. And so what are some other policies that you would need? So that transfer of methane rights, the ability to do that is very important. So let's say that uh, you own, if you're a private landowner and you own those methane rights, or even if you've obtained the license, your ability to sell it to someone else, maybe a power producer who would like to buy the gas to be able to utilize it. That is quite important, actually. And that has to be legislated as well. Either legislated or in the regulatory context, so that it's clear you you can actually own that gas and you can transfer it to somebody else. And do you think the lack of this sort of regulation and legislation hinders countries from doing something with it? It absolutely does. It's one of the major barriers. I think it's also interesting to note that if you don't have some of these foundational pieces like clear ownership rights or also an open and cost-reflective energy market for particularly electricity and natural gas, if you don't have those foundational things, it simply costs more to do projects to mitigate the methane. That's interesting. Could you speak a bit more about the electricity markets? Sure. So if, if uh, you have an electricity market where 
the government has paid for a lot of the capital assets, either historically or currently, or you don't require that people fully pay for the cost of electricity, then it's hard to do a project that is cost competitive compared to the alternatives. Now, do you have other ideas about how to deal with uh, this methane or what might be needed? Absolutely. So I mentioned, if I go back to that list of five, you know, we have the ownership rights as the first, the transfer of methane rights as the second, then having uh, abandoned mine methane as a renewable energy source in legislation or regulations can be very helpful as an incentive. So it would be a renewable energy source. So in several countries, there are Uh, there's renewable energy legislation that provides incentives for renewable energy purchasers. And in many cases, for example, in Poland, in Germany, in some states in the United States, methane from abandoned mines that's used to produce power, and sometimes from operating mines, can access those kinds of credits. So that's an important incentive, financial incentive for projects. So Meredith, just to clarify, methane is not a renewable energy resource. However, it can benefit from the special incentives given to renewable energy providers, and it may make sense to do so. Why is that? Could you explain again? Yeah, so because methane is from these abandoned mines, from active mines, it's going to come out anyway. It's a byproduct. So policymakers in several places around the world have decided that it makes sense to incentivize it, and they've used the same structure that they've used for incentivizing renewable energy in the power sector. If we don't incentivize it and it's not quite cost-effective enough, then that methane will be emitted and it is a potent greenhouse gas. All right. So, of course, no one's going to be giving special incentives if they're going to go for the sole purpose of getting the gas out. But if it's a byproduct that you want to get rid of, that's when you get the special incentive. Right. So under international greenhouse gas accounting rules, we account for methane from abandoned and operating mines differently, particularly regarding mitigation. Then we would count gas that is a little bit deeper in the earth, say coal bed methane or natural gas itself, because it's going to come out anyway once you've disturbed those coal strata. The idea is that it makes sense to try to incentivize uh, projects to mitigate the emissions. All right. Shall we go to a couple of the others? Sure. Another one is uh, royalties. So uh, many countries will charge royalties on the companies that produce natural gas, and they may charge royalties for producing abandoned mine methane or um, methane from an operating mine. If those royalties are very high, it's a big disincentive to a project. And Uh, operators may prefer to simply let the gas vent, which can be both dangerous at existing mines as well as hugely polluting. So the the way in which those royalties are set can have a huge uh, advantage or disadvantage for projects. And that's also linked to these other financial stimuli. So in some countries, they're also, um, and this is the final one, reduce taxes or targeted financial and fiscal incentives to stimulate uh, projects that abandon mines. Uh, that might be, for example, waiving a climate levy in the UK, for example, or other types of financial incentives through the tax policy. 
And looking at it cumulatively, it's important to see, hey, is this enough to actually incentivize projects so that you can mitigate this methane and this important source of greenhouse gas emissions? So what I'm understanding from you is that it's really not always or generally a profitable business, even if you've got the ownership rights clearly delineated, to go in and do a methane project. And again, some sort of financial incentives are often needed. It really depends on the specifics. It can be. And certainly if you don't have clear ownership rights, that scares away investors. And so you need more incentives. And and so it's like on a balance. How much incentive you need depends on those underlying conditions, market conditions, such as the ability to obtain ownership rights, how your other energy sectors are operating and if they're cost reflective. And in some cases, you know, you may have a mine that is very far from uh, markets for electricity or the heat, and that can make it more difficult. In some countries, uh, depending on the geology, and this is true in the United States, also in Australia, the methane that comes from these mines is of high enough quality that you can actually clean it and put it into natural gas pipelines. So that can make projects more cost effective. In much of Europe and Asia, typically you have to burn it. It's not as high content of methane. So you produce power, heat, or use it in other ways that you combust it. That's very interesting. Thank you. Now, what about policies for methane mitigation in operating mines, right? Because that might be a bit different or not. There are a lot of similarities. So the issue of ownership rights is very similar. One additional nuance um, in... Meredith, but you have ownership rights if you're operating the coal mine. Ha, that's the tricky part. So not always. You may not actually own the rights to the methane. Let's say that there's a coal mine and underneath it, there's a natural gas deposit. There may be a company that's producing that natural gas and it wants the right to be able to extract it. And that may actually interfere with the coal operation. So it's quite tricky because the coal operator typically needs to be able to control the methane for safety. And some countries, the legislation is what you call gas estate, where they're primarily focused on the gas production versus a coal estate where you say, okay, if you have the rights to the coal, you've got the rights to everything. That second setup typically makes it easier to um, both operate the mine safely and to be able to mitigate the methane. That's good to know. Now, are there other factors that also matter? There, the, Many of the others, as I mentioned, are similar. Um, the subsidies that you may have for natural gas or electricity will also play into the utilization of coal mine methane. There are fewer renewable energy credits for uh, methane from active mines, but sometimes it exists. And again, tax policy can also be important. Typically, countries don't consider that methane to be an additional fossil fuel source, but it it really depends. Now, can you, you've already spoken about uh, different, the types of mines in different countries um, in your uh, answers. But I was wondering if you could give me a few examples of, of the policies that you mentioned in different countries. I think you already mentioned a couple, but could we expand on these a bit? Sure. So an example of procedures to obtain clear ownership rights uh, for abandoned mine methane. In uh, the UK, for example, they have a program to auction off 
or to license the licenses, the rights to the methane from those abandoned mines. And companies that win those auctions, if they don't actually proceed with projects quickly, they'll lose those rights and they have to pay uh, some degree of royalty in the meantime. Germany also has similar policies. As I mentioned briefly, Germany and Poland have uh, renewable energy legislation that provides specific incentives to companies that utilize abandoned mine methane for power production. And these policies, are they working? So in Germany, their data show that they have a very high utilization rate of methane from their mines. And it appears that that is one of the key factors, these renewable energy incentives. We know that the ownership matters because in countries that don't have clear ownership rights, there typically are very few, if any, projects. Let's talk a little bit about a somewhat different aspect. We know that when you close coal mines, there are all kinds of repercussions because there are a lot of people employed in the sector. Sometimes whole towns depend on these mines. But then we also heard about how you could establish projects around the methane that's, you know, while you're closing the mine and after you've you've closed it. So could you talk a little bit about the job creation aspect? Is it possible to make some of these opportunities worthwhile if you're looking at job creation aspects? Yeah. So it is true that abandoned mine methane projects can create jobs. The utilization of that methane often requires workers who can do construction work, including drilling boreholes, building power plants or connections to natural gas networks. Then on an ongoing basis, there's a need for staff to operate, uh, say, the power plants uh, that utilize that methane and monitor conditions. But it's also important to note, I think, that this does not substitute for a robust and just transition strategy for coal mining communities, since those abandoned mine methane jobs are likely only going to be a small share of the mining jobs that are lost. So, Meredith, how do you think we should proceed from here in terms of new areas where we might want to do more research, uh, deepen our research, get more data? What are your views on this? I do think it's important to conduct more research in this area. Our study on future emissions based on coal mine depth and the geology of abandoned mines was one of the first in this area. And other studies can further refine this with more data. For example, clearer data on just how much methane there may be in as you remove the rock around coal seams. That's one data point. And how many uh, mines are flooding? You know, we could get further um, refinement on that as well. Data can also help with mitigation by more fully describing the opportunity. And then really importantly, translating this information into methane mitigation strategies globally is incredibly important. We know the kinds of policies that can help. We've talked about that here. But there's a significant need for scaling up, which likely requires clear analysis on the benefits and costs in specific countries. And then that can feed into country-specific methane strategies that those countries can use for planning and tracking and ultimately mitigating that methane. Thank you. That was really very helpful. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we end? I really thank you for um, the opportunity and your excellent questions. Thank you very much. It was lovely talking to you. Well, listeners, what did we learn today? Firstly, Both active and abandoned coal mines emit methane over years, 
the quantity depending on the type of mine. Recent data and research indicate that these emissions are much greater than were previously thought, with implications for global warming. Secondly, a number of regulatory changes are needed to support the productive use of methane leaking from coal mines, the most important being the allocation of clear ownership rights to the methane and the rights to transfer ownership. Thirdly, countries use financial and fiscal incentives to support methane conversion to power or heat. In fact, methane as a byproduct gets similar incentives for mitigation as do some renewable energy sources in countries seeking to reduce its leakage into the atmosphere. Thank you and bye for now.